0: Hello everyone. Welcome to our Rock Women's Night. We've been focusing on what it means to be a biblical woman these last few months. Mary taught on our identity and Krista covered the heavy topic of the nature of God. We learned how we need to place ourselves under God's rule and answer to him. If you'd like to listen to these lessons later, they're on our website. I'd also highly recommend you check out our podcast if you haven't. It's on Spotify. You can go even deeper there. So this is actually my first time up here speaking. <laughs> Chris and Mary asked, asked if I would tackle the subject of godly speech tonight in regards to biblical womanhood. Okay, so I love this quote that Mary shared from Elizabeth Elliott for I've accepted God's idea of me and my whole life is an offering back to him of all that I am and all that he wants me to be. Okay, so if you don't know me, my name is Grace Beldock. I've been married to my husband Nathan for 16 years Um, and together we have seven children, five genetic and two whom we have adopted. He's one of your deacons here at The Rock. This is our family I'm a registered nurse by trade and a homeschool mama by choice. I have a heart for discipleship, hard work, theology, reading, and coffee. I've been at The Rock since 2012, and I really treasure this church family that the Lord has given me. Okay, so godly speech, it reflects God's character, and biblical womanhood should be saturated with it. I like to refer to the book of Titus as a starting point for biblical womanhood. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and open us up in prayer. God, thank you for this amazing group of women. I pray that you would study my voice, speak through me. You'd give us soft hearts and open ears and use our time together as only you can. Amen. Okay. So I thought I'd start with a quote here. Alice Roosevelt Longworth, daughter of President Roosevelt said, if you haven't got anything nice to say about anybody, come sit next to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yikes. Okay, I'm sure somebody comes to mind when you hear the word gossip. We've all dealt with this to some degree at some point in our lives, but we are Christian women who are called to so much more than idle chatter. We are called to holiness and godliness, and this includes with our speech. True, we have a need for deep relationships and to share what's going on in our lives. We are called to bear each other's burdens and to build each other up. And as women, we need to talk. (laughs) I get this on a deep level, as I'm sure most of you do. The tongue of the wise brings blessing. Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is a, what is helpful for building up of others, that it may benefit those that listen. Proverbs tells us that a gentle answer turns away wrath. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, and gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. There is such power in our words, and we can be gracious and season those words with salt bringing life to those around us. So where's the balance in this? How can we share what's going on in our lives and honor those around us in the Lord? I found this to be a very nuanced thing. Okay, so I've I've led the Rock Meals Ministry for eight plus years now, and I helped my husband lead the Rock Serves Ministry. Because of these ministries, people will come to me if they have, if someone's sick or has a need. And this is a beautiful thing because I'm able to go to that person directly and make sure that they're supported and they have what they need. Even if all I do is say, hey, I'm here for you if you need me. This helps me to tag in on a level that I wouldn't be able to tag in if that communication wasn't there. That being said, I really have to strive to protect the hearts of everyone involved. And as you can imagine, gossip can be an issue from time to time. This is something that I wrestle with. Who needs to know this? Should I take this to a pastor? Should I even know this? Gossip has always been around. In the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, Satan was there twisting what the Lord had said to Adam in chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded, saying, you may surely eat of the tree of of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Eve wasn't there when God told Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She hadn't been created yet. Nor did she fully understand what was said because she added to it and said, you shouldn't even touch of it or you'll die. This certainly highlights our need to fully understand scripture for ourselves. When the serpent got to her in the garden, he twisted the command just enough saying, did God actually say that? No, you won't die. Your eyes will be opened. Okay, so this led to the fall of mankind. (laughs) Okay, it's an extreme example. I know most gossip doesn't throw the world in chaos. (laughs) But I can think back to a time in my own life where I felt the sting of gossip Long before I met my husband in a church in Ohio, I had been on a date with a guy in the church and I shared this information with a woman, friend in the church, and there was another sister that I knew would be sensitive to this information. I shared it with the wrong person. We were in a large college career group at the time. And I remember watching this woman sharing this juicy tidbit from person to person to person in this group. It destroyed my friendship and caused a lot of strife in my life. And honestly, it affected, my, it affected my reputation in a negative way. Gossip is sin, and unfortunately, it's common, but it shouldn't be among believers. It ruins families and splits up churches. It causes disunity. The reality is, is this is something that we have to deal with in a fallen world. So how do we define gossip? Gossip is repeating information meant to slander or alter the perception of another's character. More often than not, it's us sitting in the judgment seat over someone else's life or situation. It's a condition of the heart typically meant to hurt or put somebody in a poor, uh, speak poorly of another person. However, it, even if it isn't a heart condition, it always bears bad fruit. The biblical word for slander comes from the Greek word diabolos, meaning malicious gossip, slander, or false accuser. This word was used once in the Bible to describe Judas, one time for hardened unbelievers, and diabolos is applied some 34 times to Satan. This is not a word that I'd like paired with my own name. The Bible has a lot to say on the subject. But now you must also rid yourselves of all things such as these anger rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisper separates close friends. In the culture I grew up in, people tend to live in extremes. So either you gossiped, or you were controlling of relationships, or both. When I was 17, I was in my first women's small group, and one of the co-leaders had recently been through a nasty divorce, and she was just terrified that people were going to talk behind her back. So she, along with another co-leader, had everyone sign a contract, saying that if we were going to be in that group, we wouldn't talk about anything that was said in that group outside of the group. Confidentiality is important, but signing a contract is a little extreme. I willingly signed that contract, but I felt like I really took on a burden. I wanted to protect the hearts of everybody involved, but I ended up walking in fear of failure. This was one of my first experiences with grown Christian women, and it made it really hard to know how to navigate conversations and relationships moving forward. We live in a gossip culture. Social media keeps us up to date on every detail of every breakup. And often, we know things about people we do know in real life that we would never know otherwise. Oh, they changed their relationship status. Well, look at that. He cut his wife's face out of every single one of his Facebook profile pictures. (laughs) Social media sets us up to be busybodies, even though people are willingly sharing the information. We are to be busy at home, but when that busy time is spent on social media, it affects our hearts and souls. We come off off of our devices brimming with information to share. I'd encourage you to check your devices and see how much time you're actually spending on the internet every day. Consider setting a timer when you log online and even limiting the amount of people that you follow. Gossip is easy to slip into, even for the most intentional woman. How can we guard our tongues and honor others in real-life conversations, even in an age of social media? I have eight practical steps that I apply to my own life that may be helpful for you. Number one think of the other person. When I'm locked into conversations, I ask myself, would I be willing to say this in front of the person? 99% of the time, that answer needs to be yes. I'll get to that other 1% here in a little bit. Number two, ask permission. When someone shares a sensitive topic, I will, often try to, I will always try to ask for permission to share it if I feel I need to, even for prayer requests. And a lot of times, I'll even go so far as to phrase it for them and say, does that sound all right to you? Number three, don't be a safe place for gossip. I try never to be a safe place for gossip. I have been in the past, I've been a fortress for it, delighting in all the gritty details and asking all the unnecessary questions. (laughs) Let's not leave room for that in our relationships. Number four, limit your time in conversations. This might sound ridiculous, and maybe even controlling on the surface. However, Proverbs ten nineteen says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Extra time leaves room for extra words. I try to limit most of my coffee dates to around two hours. This leaves plenty of time to catch up or get to know the person, but not enough time to slip into subjects that should be avoided. I definitely have relationships where I'll spend more time and I'll share more openly, but even in those relationships and friendships, I try to really guard my tongue and honor the Lord. Okay, number five, develop good habits. Get in the habit of turning to the Lord in prayer and worship. If we're sitting at the Lord's feet in prayer and worship, we are way less likely to sin with our tongues. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Number six, don't spread gossip. If you've heard about someone, or if you've heard gossip about someone, try not to let it affect your view of that person and do not pass on the information. Unless there is fear for the person's safety in situations such as self-harm, abuse, or suicide, but be mindful to only take that information to someone who can actually help, a pastor or a trusted leader. Number seven, confess. If you've realized you've gossiped about someone, ask for forgiveness and walk that out. Believe that you've been forgiven and strive to do better moving forward. This includes the person you gossiped to and potentially the person you gossiped about. If you're not sure if you need to apologize, you can always get counsel to help you decide. Sometimes there will be consequences, but the Lord disciplines those he loves. And the goal in the Christian walk is sanctification, and this will come with growth. Good, painful growth. (laughs) Not only for yourself, but for the women around you, because they will learn from your example, even though it's gonna come with some embarrassment at times. (laughs) Number eight, speak up. So how do we handle it when someone's gossiping to us about someone else? Speaking up is hard when we're in the moment. We can often feel pressure to get approval, a desire to make people like us or simply not want to uh, face conflict. But we can lovingly shut down conversations by saying something like, hey, maybe we shouldn't talk about this. We can change the subject, but if the person speaking needs to deal with the person they're talking about, take that chance and encourage them to go to them directly. Matthew 18 says, if someone has sinned against you, go directly to them. We are commanded to encourage each other to good works, and gossip can certainly be a place where we can encourage the women around us. Are you currently, or have you been a victim of gossip? Don't lose sight that the Lord knows. Jesus himself was gossiped about. He always walked in truth and endured. How many times did the people around Jesus accuse him of blasphemy, heresy, sin, I can think of a few times just off the top of my head when the Pharisees rolled in and spread lies, twisting the truth to put him in a bad light and ultimately have him killed. When we, he was associating with prostitutes, claiming to be the son of God, claiming to be God himself, healing on the Sabbath, scandalous. This was more than enough to have the zealous tongues wagging. No matter how we are being treated though, we are called to have godly responses and how we respond matters to God. Slow down. Turn the other cheek. Turn to scripture. Turn to the Lord in prayer. Get counsel on how to proceed when you're in these situations. Again, go to Matthew 18. Learn how to work out issues in a godly manner. And since I mentioned getting counsel, let's chat about that for a little while. So I wasn't raised in a church where this was a thing, Sure, you talked about what was going on in your life, and you were always talking about what was going on in the lives of others. But I was not taught to ask for counsel or how to apply it. There was one time in my life where I knew that I needed help with an issue. I was walking with my then-boyfriend, Nate. (laughs) Looking back, I'm almost shocked that I knew to ask for help at all because it wasn't something that I had ever seen. I went to a Christian woman, a woman who had changed my diapers as a baby, She gave me the worst advice, advice that flew in the face of scripture and pushed us into confusion. I know that God used this woman to prevent me from ending my relationship with Nathan, but man, do I wish I knew some of the women I know now. This woman loved the Lord wholeheartedly, but she was not rooted in his word and she was actively in a church that was teaching false gospels. I couldn't discern any of this at the time, but I'm hopeful that I can help you to discern some of this moving forward. Now, nearly 20 years later, I take getting counsel seriously and see it as an essential part of the Christian's walk. So let me share what that looks like in my life and how to go about it. It's easy for us to think that we have life figured out. I know I've struggled with pride from time to time, thinking I know what's best for my life and my situation, or just not wanting to open my life up for input. Scripture is clear on the blessing of counsel and the downfalls, if we don't get it. Where there is no guidance, a people fall, but in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So how can we identify these women? The women who are safe enough to go deep with and wise enough to help. I look for someone who is, first of all, a Christian. So number one, she's a Christian actively following the Lord. Number two, she is not actively walking in her flesh. We all sin, but I would not counsel with anyone who's actively walking in sin, as it's gonna cloud their judgment and it's gonna cloud yours. In most cases, I do not recommend that we seek counsel from unbelievers when it comes to how we should be living as a Christian when it comes to things such as marriage and child rearing or even finances. I want that biblical perspective that comes and wisdom that comes from the Lord and not from this world. And please, don't go to the internet for advice. (laughs) Number three, she should put the Lord's ways before her own. Someone who is able to be objective, exercises discretion, is humble, gentle, and skilled at listening. For those of us who are married, the first place to go should be our husbands. If you're not allowing your husband's leadership in your marriage, now's a great time to start. The Lord has placed him in your life to lead and guide you, and he is accountable before God for leading his family. But oftentimes, we don't give our men the chance to lead. While I'm definitely not perfect, I try to talk to my husband about all my thoughts and strive to be open with him. Oftentimes, he'll see things that I don't. A lot of times it's from because of my love for the person or let's be honest, my distaste for the person that clouds my judgment. He's pointed out a lot of things that have saved me from added pain and I'm really thankful for that. All right, back to counsel outside of your husband if you don't have one. Number four, she is rooted in the word of God. Look for someone who is known to take biblical stands and has a heart for you. Some of the godliest women I've known are women who are not well-known within the church. They're the women sitting in the back of the church praying for you. Also, she doesn't have to necessarily have a heart for you. Sometimes it's better if she doesn't because then you're going to get that unbiased opinion. Okay, so when do we ask for counsel? Number one, before you make big decisions in your life. Number two, when you're struggling to know what to do number three, to know how to respond, and number four, to get feedback. I've gotten lots of counsel on how to respond or simply to get feedback on how I've handled situations. Sometimes we can't see the forest through the trees, and oftentimes getting that perspective can be life-changing. When we began to consider adopting our sons, we dedicated 90 days to prayer and getting counsel. We believe that life begins at fertilization and had a heart for adoption. So here's a picture of our sons on gotcha, their gotcha day. I carried and delivered our adopted children. <laughs> it's very big, that's not even the worst of it. <laughs> okay, so I wanna pause for a moment here and acknowledge that one in three women have had an abortion. That number is probably closer to one in two within the church. I wanna be really sensitive to this fact. There may be guilt and shame, but sister, if this is you, there is love and healing and forgiveness in Christ and in our community. Okay, so embryo adoption. This is where you adopt babies that are three to five days old and you carry them. For lack of a better term, they're leftover from another couple's IVF cycle. Or journey. These are not eggs, but they're rather embryos, people fully created in the image of God with their own set of DNA, waiting to be given a chance at the life that they were created for. The mother takes medication to line her body up with the stage of the embryos, and they're transferred to her uterus. This gives them a chance at life. This was uncharted territory for us. I, after our fifth baby, I never wanted to be pregnant again. <laughs> So the Lord calling me back to pregnancy was a shock. There was a lot to chew on and work through. We went to most of the pastors and several of the pastor's wives and to people that we knew loved the Lord and wanted the best for us. I remember getting an email from Pastor Bill at one point, and he said he was praying for us, and he saw no sin in the decision. I remember thinking, huh, well, the idea of sin being an embryo adoption hadn't occurred to me. I was so grateful that he took the time to address that with us because a short time later, two people we were close to accused me of adultery and disowned my family because of the embryo adoption. Because we sought counsel, I felt emboldened in our decision and was not rocked by this response. It merely strengthened my resolve as to where the Lord was leading our family. And because of that, We have our precious sons. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. So remember when I said I try to ask myself if I would say whatever in front of the person 99% of the time? So here we are at the point of talking about that 1% of the time that I will give more detail and share on that level that I wouldn't necessarily want to share in front of that person once you've identified the safe woman to get counsel from. Number one, be clear. Be clear on what you're asking for. Number two, give them permission to speak into the situation and give advice. Tell them why you're coming to them and that you need direction in the situation. Number three, give detail. That's when it's okay to give details. I find it much harder to speak into situations where I only have vague details and the names have been changed to spare the innocent. The goal is accurate counsel and often this will come with a lot of questions. Number four, be patient. Allow time for prayer and preparation such as searching the scriptures and time for the person to get counsel themselves if it's a big issue. Okay, number five, be kind. Often godly counsel will sting, even with the most gracious loving delivery, especially if there is sin that needs to be addressed. It takes a lot of bravery to be willing to speak God's truth into hard situations. Try to remember not to lash out if you're not hearing what you want to hear. Remember that this person is speaking to you because they love you and the Lord and they're taking their time with you. If someone is asking for counsel, I'm far less likely to lean in and speak up if I've gotten a negative response in the past. I wanna know that the person that I'm pouring into has ears for me. Number six, be teachable. Be willing to learn, change, and grow. How can you grow in this role of being someone who is able to give godly counsel? First of all, a huge part of this is being dedicated to the Lord and the study of scripture. If we are advising others, we need to be standing firmly on a solid foundation. I want to be able to turn women away from their sin to the Lord and not to myself. So I need to know what the word of God says sin is and sin isn't. And I need to apply how to apply God's word to my life and the life of others. I need to have God's word hidden in my heart. A few years ago, women began coming to me to ask for advice and counsel. This was not at all something that I wanted to step into or was prepared for, but I wanted to grow. So I asked one of these women if I could have their permission to go get counsel and come back and teach them what I had learned. My friend was more than willing to allow this because she knew that I had a heart for her and she wanted me in that situation with her. So that's what I did. I went to my mentor, I got direction, I came back and I taught her. It was definitely awkward at first, however, it got easier as I became more and more confident and comfortable. Secondly, walk in deep relationships with wise women. One, in one particular situation, I had a sister I was discipling, and she was in a sla- friendship slash relationship with somebody, and I wasn't 100% sure that it was sin, but I thought it probably was. I honestly hoped that I could point it out to a pastor and not have to worry about it, not have to engage in any tough conversations. There was one situation that popped up that one of my mentors was present and both people were there. It was so clear that the relationship was sinful that one of my mentors pulled me aside and pointed it out. I half-heartedly said I thought that might be the case, but I really hoped pastor so-and-so would deal with it. She pulled me aside and called me out on it, on not addressing it. I remember looking at the ground and stuttering something like, this is good, I want to grow, I can do this. I committed right there to confront the matter. My mentor supported me in prayer and advice on how to address it, and I scheduled time and drove to my friend's house. That was such a hard day, but because I was challenged by my mentor and stepped into that conversation, my sister confessed, and we cried and prayed together. She turned from her sin into the Lord. This won't always be the case. Oftentimes you'll be met with anger when you touch on someone's sin or an idol, but I believe that I would have been in sin had I let that situation slip by me. Had I not been walking with my mentor, I would have. So how do we grow in this area? As Christian women, we should be willing to lean into our relationships, lovingly call out sin, encourage each other to good works, and point people to Christ. I would encourage you to take some time in prayer and get some godly counsel on how to improve. Are we good friends and sisters in the Lord, or are we just looking for information? Iron should sharpen iron. By the grace of God, let's walk in biblical womanhood together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together. Help us to grow as biblical women, write your truth on our hearts. Help us to love as you do and walk in your truth. Amen.